Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. I'm so pleased to share this week's episode with you. I get to talk to my friend Miranda about reactive rescues and how challenging they can be in families with children. We talk about lots of ideas for how to keep everyone safe and happy, dogs included, of course. Enjoy! Hi, Miranda. I have been looking forward to talking with you for like as long as this podcast has been in existence. Hi, Michelle. It's so nice to be here. Well, well, I was so excited when you invited me to come on. Oh my gosh. Well, it was a great excuse to hang out with you because you and I are friends and we have been online friends for quite a while and sharing our journeys together and helping each other out with just moral support as we have become professional dog trainers. And we also have um, your sister in common, which was such a funny revelation. I met your sister a million years ago when I was a food blogger, when I had my cooking school for kids. And so to meet you and realize that you were Amy's sister was such a fun, wonderful, I don't know, felt like kismet. Yeah, it was like a small world moment. It was like, yeah, and then I got connected with you and started following you. And, and it was it was great to have that supportive, um, finding the other supportive dog trainers is, is nice, you know, where you can, it's not competition, it's just, hey, we're all in this together to help exactly. dogs, right? Well, and, and you know what? There are so many dogs that need our help. And so I really... I'm very excited that through the podcast and through Facebook and stuff, I am building this little group of friends that I trust who specialize in all kinds of different topics. And so when people say to me, you know, I have a rescue dog that's reactive, I have, I don't even have to think about it before I say, Miranda's your girl, like that's who I'm sending you to. So I love that we can do this for each other, that, you know, we don't have to be an expert in every topic that relates to dogs and that in fact it's better if we specialize in one or two things and then we can send the other folks to our good friends who who are good at it yeah absolutely and likewise like whenever somebody comes across my path that has dogs and kids even though i do like i i also enjoy that area like that's i'll send them your way as you know because you have like the most resources and and when you specialize right that really allows you to get get really good at one thing, right? Not trying to do everything. Yeah, that's my goal anyway. I hope I hope that it comes across that way. Um, so we're today we're going to talk about reactive dogs and families with children and how we can sort of juggle that um, together because it can lead to a lot of fear in parents that um, maybe our dog is barking and lunging on leash, and not only is that embarrassing, but we're worried about. The safety of our baby in the stroller, or we're worried that maybe our dog, if we're wearing our baby, that our dog will pull us over. Or even at home, let's say a guest comes by and our dog is has stranger danger and we're not really sure what to do about that. And we don't want our kids to get sort of caught in that crossfire of fear and worry with our dog. So we're going to talk about all of those things today with you because this is your jam. But I want you to introduce yourself before we go any further. 
Absolutely. So I'm Miranda, as Michelle said. Um, I'm a certified professional dog trainer. I've worked with dogs for as long as I can remember. Um, so at least 20 years, I started out with volunteering and rescue um, and then trained my dogs in agility when I was a teenager and got really into that, um, which started really my passion for, for training. And um, I'm also a veterinary technician, so I did my degree in, um, to do that and practiced. I also have experience working in veterinary hospitals and with a holistic approach. So that's something I integrate as well into um, my training is looking at everything from a whole body viewpoint. So body, body, mind and spirit of, of the dog. And uh, yeah, I've, I've specialized in working with rescue dogs because rescue dogs is, I've always had rescue dogs. It's, it's my passion um, and specifically reactivity um, because it's an area that there's a big, there's a big, big need um, in that area. And a lot of dogs I find are rescue dogs have issues around reactivity and it's something that causes them to be rehomed a lot so yeah it's, it's something I have personal experience with and I feel for the people because I know it's really really hard to manage um, a reactive dog and so yeah it's it's what I feel I'm dedicated to to working on yeah well it it's one of the things that I love about you is that you are you're kind and non-judgmental and so families that may be wondering if they're in over their head or if they've made a mistake by choosing this particular dog, they need a lot of support and compassion. And so, of course, you need to have the dog training skills. That's obviously very important because we need to give the dog tools and give the humans that, you know, to equip them for helping ensure that the behavior changes. But really, you just have to offer so much comfort to the people as they go through this experience. I think it's pretty similar to what I'm doing where um, families have a lot at stake when they've got kids and a dog because a mistake could be a life altering experience. Right. And so you and I, I think share that in common that we just really want people to feel loved and supported through the work that we do together. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Like, you know, a lot of times I feel like we get this misconception that we're dog trainers, but really we're, people coaches that help people train their dogs. Right. And so if you, you have to approach it with an attitude of understanding, um, meeting people where they're at mm -hmm. and not layering on your expectation of what they should be doing or should not be doing, really giving them that the support to make the best decision that's going to work for them and their family and mm -hmm. asking, is this doable for you? You know, like this, this is the situation. This is what it, the dog is seeing in this situation. And, and this is how we can approach it. But is that manageable for you? Is that, does that meet you? You know, can you, can you handle this? And is that going to negatively affect your life as well? Right. Yeah. Considering like the whole family. Yeah. Let's dive into that. The dog and the, but the person, the family, that's what matters as well. I love that. Let's dive into that specifically, because I feel like one's capacity to cope is is the first thing we really have to think about because my mentor taught me that it's not just about can the person learn the skills to fix a problem but do they have the devotion and the time that it takes to actually implement those how do we help a family decide when maybe a certain kind of reactivity feels just too overwhelming or when it might be unsafe to our kids. Let's start there. And then we'll get to the easier, lighter stuff about like, how do we walk a reactive dog? Yeah. So let's do the biggie first. 
Yeah. So for me, it's really looking at, you know, what, what, like defining reactivity, right? So is this, is this a case where it's just a dog that's a little crazy on leash and wants to see all the other dogs and say hi, but it's really, really friendly. So that's very, very low risk. Um, is it, you know, a dog that is, is reactive and aggressive to um, other dogs? That's kind of the next level up. Um, and then is there any, any human issue? So reactivity is this really broad subject that can mean a dog that's just super over friendly out of control, or it can mean a dog that um, is reactive as in reactive potentially will bite a human. Okay. Um, so there's a big spectrum here, right? Yeah. So I think that it would really, it really depends on what we're looking at as far as um, what the degree of manageability is. And that's always the first thing I'm looking at is what's the level of safety risk here, right? And especially when there's any family, um, any family members involved um, or any children, I mean, in the family involved. Right. It's always an, uh, it's always a risk assessment as to if, it, if it's safe, right? Because not, uh, you know, a big thing is not every dog is right for every home. Right. And that's one thing with rescue where I work with a lot, work with a lot of rescues um, sometimes it's a little bit like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. And it's just like this, I mean, this could work, but it's going to be hard. It's, 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 it's not quite the right fit. And, and some families are willing to do that. Some families are so dead, like you said, dedicated. They have that level of, um, you know, commitment. They love the dog so much. They want to make it work. And mm -hmm. other families like realize, okay, maybe this, this is not the right fit for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree with you. I think that um, especially in the pandemic too, so many people were rushing to get companion dogs because yes. they have yeah. the time and energy to be with a dog, but then they're trapped at home with a dog that might be afraid of children or, Absolutely. You know, or something else. And so they realize that maybe they brought home a creature that would be better suited living elsewhere. And there's no failure in that. I, I do mention no. that quite a lot, not because I want people to get rid of their dogs. I don't, I really don't. Mm -hmm. And one of the whole reasons for the work that I do is to try to prevent that from happening. Oh, but I do, I do want people to understand that if they make that choice for their family, they're also making that choice for the dog that maybe you're going to set that dog up for greater success in a household that is either quieter or that doesn't have cats or that, you know, whatever the situation may be is an only dog household or something like that. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing lost. Right. And, and I, I do see that cycle happen and um, people take on a lot of that, like that guilt and, and shame about, you know, especially with, with when we're looking at rescues where it's, it, there's a lot of pressure put on the family or people to, you know, help dogs and you're doing this big thing and helping a dog. And then by relinquishing it, there's this shame and shame associated with it. And, and really that doesn't benefit, you know, the person or the dog. It doesn't make them kind of want to do, want to try again. Um, right. Like, oh, that was such a negative experience. They feel so much shame and mm -hmm. it doesn't help the dog either. Right. Yeah. Um, so really just recognizing that it's all, it's all learning and there, you know, you don't know any way, you know, as much as you can try to know beforehand before getting the dog, um, what its temperament is like, or maybe it got temperament assessed in the shelter or they say, oh, it's good with kids or cats until you have it in your home, until it like decompresses and comes down from all that shifting and changing, you don't really know what you have. Mm -hmm. right? And so there's, there's that piece where it's like, this is, this is totally, you know, not your fault. There's nothing here that's your fault mm -hmm. and you did the best job that you could because 
the people I work with, like they, they really want, they really want to do the best thing for the dog, but also their family. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that you talked about the range and behaviors that you could mm-hmm. see with a dog that may have this label of being reactive, that it could just be a dog that's frustrated because you're not letting it say hi to every dog. And so yeah. they're pulling on the leash as a way of saying, but please, I really want to go over and say hi. And then they bark because they're just mad um, right. versus the dogs that get joy from that pulling and chasing and Lending, uh-huh. right that those are in the minority right I do want to say that that yeah most dogs are doing that maybe out of fear and and they're trying to say please go away I'm going to be tough so I want you to back mm-hmm. off but there are a few dogs that really find joy from that and there is a very big difference in a dog who's reacting because it's fun and a dog who's reacting out of fear mm-hmm. and it's a lot easier to support a dog that's reacting out of fear because we can do exercises to build their confidence, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How does a family know the difference between those two? A dog that's reacting out of fear or reacting out of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times it has to do with what the what the trigger of their reactivity is. So dogs that are doing it out of fun, it's generally like prey drive So they're, um, they want to chase squirrels or they want to chase cats. Um, sometimes even cars, like there's a, there's often an element of fun, but sometimes it's an element of relieving frustration too. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, so that's, it's, that one is more directed outwardly at, um, at triggers like cats and squirrels and things like that. Yeah. Versus Mm -hmm. directed at other dogs or, um, or people. Okay. Well, that's good news. I like hearing that. And there are certain traits, um, with dogs, you and I see this a lot with herding breeds that there are a lot of behaviors that are ingrained in dogs because of the hundreds of years of breeding for that dog to do a certain job. So do you see any tendencies in some of these mixed breed dogs? So let's say, for example, the shelter has something that may be a shepherd mix or a, or a herding breed mix. What kinds of behaviors can be predictable and challenging for families um, with dogs that have certain tendencies like that? That's a really great question. I love you bring that up because it, it's always, I feel like it surprises people um, mm-hmm. when they bring home that, you know, a cattle dog and it's, um, you know, wants to chase everything. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you look at it and go, this, this, is, this dog is bred to herd cows. So, you know, really lots of intensity and drive and determination um, has been bred in it, like you said, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So, um, I got so excited. I forgot your question, but <laughs> so just, just patterns. Yeah. yeah, there's definite patterns around um, wanting to control movement. So they want to, um, they want to, you know, anything that's moving that gets them excited and stimulated. Um, and they, they need an, a proper outlet for that. So if they don't get a, um, a kind of acceptable, like in our word world, acceptable outlet for that um, activity, then they often act out. So we label it as bad behavior and it could come out as chasing cars or hurting the kids around the yard um, or chasing the cat. Um, and it's, it's important to understand that that's, that's um, very, very ingrained in their behavior. Now, not to say we can't put training in place, um, but they need a natural outlet for that behavior. So like teaching them to herd a stationary object or teaching them to herd, you know, 
get some sheep. No, just kidding. But, um, (laughs) you know, giving them something that they are able to use that instinct and then also teaching them some really good skills. So how to leave something alone, how to have self-control, a good solid weight cues that let them that that let them know um, when they're allowed to use that instinct and when they're not allowed to use that instinct but it definitely is it's definitely whenever you're seeing a dog that could have a herding breed in it and you have children it's it's good to keep in mind that that's going to be a little bit harder to manage Mm -hmm. in the average home right yeah I think it's a really common problem that we see dogs labeled as problematic or their behaviors are problematic when we've humans, not us directly, but humans have done this to these dogs. And yet then we become a victim of this pattern of breeding. Right. And it's a little bit unethical in my opinion, to try to train some of these ingrained behaviors out of these dogs Uh because that's who they are. And so I like that you talked about finding appropriate avenues for them to use those tendencies because then you can celebrate their skills. I even learned recently about the sport that I was not familiar with before. And I think it's called tri-ball. Yeah. So it's essentially dogs that they have these big balls and they herd or push the Uh ball into a goal. Is that right? Can you describe it? Is that what it is? Essentially. Yeah. So it's like those giant exercise balls, those big blue, big balls. Mine used to be blue that, uh, you do sit-ups on or whatever and they teach yeah. them how to they can you can teach the same herding cues that they would train with you know sheep but obviously it's a lot easier to, right. to keep an exercise ball in your closet than to, to like I was saying and is it a timed sport so then it gets you know I'm really or... fuzzy on the rules yeah you know I that think... you teach you teach herding cues and that it is about getting the ball in a goal Okay. Um, I have never participated in it. No. Me neither. I saw a demo at it, a demo of yeah. it somewhere. And I, I thought, oh my gosh, that's such a humane way to help a dog who has this drive yeah. to do these behaviors. And then there's, and then they're more satiated. Like they feel absolutely. good in their body instead yeah. of us feeling like they're bad dogs. Right. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. You, I love that you brought up like just how we these these in certain breeds there's certain grain ingrained characteristics and um like you have a terrier you know they they need to you know hunt and they need to they have need to have an instinct to search and hunt and, and yeah. they're tenacious and they need an instinct they need a, a natural outfit for that yeah right um yeah so it's so important it's funny you said that because he um i i always walk him on a leash And people just assume that because I'm a dog trainer, that my dog can be off leash and that he's going to be fine. And, and he does have a good recall and he is, you know, we have our moments of good days and bad days with training being effective and not being effective because I'm just a normal person, but I have a long line so that he can feel like he's free, but that if he should want to chase something that he sees like squirrels, you nailed that, um, that I'm not going to lose him to being hit by a car or right. you know, or being eaten by a coyote because those are two very prominent risks in my community that he could dash off and instinct kicks in. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that for people who have terriers, for example, getting hit by a car is a very common, unfortunate byproduct yeah. of the fact that they will do what they will do. And they, they're not, they don't know about cars. Right. So no, absolutely. Okay. So, <laughs> Obviously, that's a good management tool, right? I'm using a long line. I'm I'm allowing him to mostly be free, but yet 
he has a limit to that freedom. So let's talk about how we can apply some management to some of our dogs that are reactive in families with kids. So um, let's talk about stranger danger. I think that as the pandemic winds down, people will start to have friends over more often, um, slowly, but eventually that's going to happen. And children are going to come and visit so that your kids will resume a more social um, social lifestyle or whatever. So not all children are savvy about um, how to be around dogs. And I'm going to make the assumption that some kids are used to hugging their own dog, which is a lot of dogs really don't like to be hugged. And so the problem is if a child at your house hugs your dog, that child is going to think it's okay to hug other dogs. Mm -hmm. And then they come to your house and you have a dog who has stranger danger and your dog is going to really be very upset about that situation. So obviously we want to not put our dog in a position where it's going to be approached by this child who wants to go hug it. So how do we handle, um, some of that stuff and your mom, right? So I love this because you have a young child. And so you're going to be in the position where you're going to need to maybe set ground rules when he has buddies over, or you can help your clients even say, all right, let's be proactive. And here's what I want you to do. So what would we, what would we do in the situation? Yeah, so absolutely. So first thing I think of is always safety. And, um, you know, I know you, 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 this, you cover this, I'm sure before, but always having an adult on the scene. Yeah. So I personally knew my dog was unsure about children. Um, it would depend on, you know, his level of comfort. So I would be, I would be there on the scene. I'd mm-hmm. be watching for his, is he looking like loose and wiggly and happy? Or is he looking a little bit stiff and unsure about the mm-hmm. situation? Um, and if he was looking uns- stiff and unsure, I wouldn't even have him there. I okay. mean, Honestly, I would be putting him behind a baby gate and giving him a nice full stuffed Kong. And, um, you know, so knowing sometimes even in, in advance, like if you know the situation, this children is, I mean, is coming over that is going to likely put my dog in a situation where he's going to be uncomfortable. I might just say, hey, let's let's just avoid that entirely because mm-hmm. this world is not living with me. Sometimes it's hard to. Um, tell other people's kids what they should and shouldn't do, right? Yeah. Where your own child, you can have those ground rules and they know what's expected. Like my son, Alfie knows he doesn't hug Nellie. He doesn't approach her when she's eating. Um, he knows he's not supposed to run by her, but that one's a hard one. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is hard because so, kids love to run and play. Yeah. And so, but with a, with another child, and if I knew my dog was not going to be comfortable, I would just avoid that situation. You're you're reducing the chance that your dog has starts to develop more negative association with children. And like you said, you're also not having that child like hug a dog and have a potentially bad situation come out of it. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's good. So so there, I know that I encounter parents who say they feel guilty separating the dog all the time, but yet at the same time, maybe we can just shift yeah. that mindset a little bit and say, actually, your dog is asking you for space. So instead of feeling guilty, you should actually feel really proud that you took action to prevent your dog from feeling badly, right? It's not, yeah. you're, you're not, you're feeling guilty because you think the dog is being maybe punished by being separated, but in actuality, that's what they want. So you're actually doing the right thing. Does that, does that sound right? They want the space. You know, a lot of dogs really want that space and some of them are good about get take creating it themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Like they will say, okay, 
the situation is like, I know with, with my dog, Nellie, she will move away. Like she'll go lie upstairs. If Alfie's running around in the, in the main floor, she'll go, she'll remove herself. Some dogs are great with that. They're like, this is the source of stress. I don't like this. I'm going to take the, the path of least resistance and move away. Yeah. And some dogs, um, they, they take the option of defending themselves. So they'll move into, you know, they'll, they'll start to, de- to develop body language signals that they're uncomfortable, which children don't read very well, as you, you know, right. as you know um, and then escalate to, to growling, you know, snarling, snapping um, as, as the, as the situation, as they feel more stressed. Um, so it's important, you know, that we're our dog's advocate in these situations and just help them out so that they don't feel that need to, to get, you know, to escalate the threat. Right. Yeah. That's perfect. That sounds, yeah. That sounds really perfect. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to going outside. And <laughs> this came up recently um, with a client of mine. Actually, I think she was a member in my membership community. And um, she was telling me that um, she has a dog who has reactive behaviors and is difficult on leash. And they have started, um, walking the dog places where they're less likely to encounter other dogs, which I think is a great solution. Um, Maybe at hours where there may be fewer dogs out. So they're not going necessarily at lunchtime when all the dogs are out for a potty break. They live in a city um, in an urban environment. So there's not as many choices of where to go. Um, And they have to go outside to go potty and stuff. So it's so not walking isn't an option for them, but they're expecting a baby in a few months in the spring. And so they, one of their biggest worries was um, how to walk the dog and have a baby at the same time, because luckily, you know, they're, they're a couple. So there are two people and we talked about options such as, you know, have one of you stay home with the baby and one of you walk the dog or have one of you push the stroller while the other person holds the leash so that one person isn't juggling that whole situation. But there are some people, you know, I have clients that maybe have a, a, spouse that's in the military and is gone at extended periods of time or that works a night shift. And so a lot of parents sometimes find themselves alone and yet they have children and this dog that is unpredictable. And they're really worried about how to meet the needs of everybody and literally not be pulled into the street. So I know that loose leash walking is like the Holy grail and it's very difficult. And there's a million different strategies that people recommend. And it's, there's, there's nothing we can say that's going to answer that in two mm-hmm. minutes or whatever, but do you have any tips for just how to make it less scary for these people mm-hmm. as they're juggling the kids and the, this dog at the same time? Yeah. So like about a million things went through my head when you were saying that, good. Okay, good. but um, you know, the biggest thing is really taking the pressure off yourself. I feel like, like when you have kids and you have dogs, um, it can be a big thing where you're so focused on meeting the kids' needs and meeting the dog's needs that you forget about yourself. Um, and so, you know, definitely um, not, you know, don't, don't putting so much pressure on your, on yourself to have perfect, to have it perfect all the time. Okay. Make, make sure like hundred percent the dog is every, you know, every second of the day, um, you know, prioritize your own needs, take care of yourself mm-hmm. uh, is really, really important. And, um, you know, reach out and get support if you can. And if that's possible for you to reach out to, to other people to get that support, um, you know, with the dog, 
The other thing is that I always think about is that we get really stuck on um, dogs needing walks every day in order to meet their needs. Um, and I, you know, I used to subscribe to this as well. Like before I know what I know now is that, you know, if I didn't walk my dog every day for an hour, at least an hour, I was, I would feel bad about myself. I would feel like I wasn't meeting his exercise needs. Um, and really, you know, dogs, um, as long as they have a balanced approach to their, to meeting their needs, which means, um, they have some exercising of their body. They have a little bit of play, um, and some exercise of their brain that, that can do it. Right. So it doesn't, um, you don't necessarily have to put yourself under pressure to walk the dog every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in situations like, um, you know, with, with a family, um, when there's not, um, a lot of support, I would definitely look at, um, what are, what are some alternatives, right? So, you know, if, if, if like you were saying with your client there, that there's not an option to take, you know, to let the dog out in the backyard or, use a indoor potty or something like that to Mm -hmm. minimize the chance of exposure. I would just, I would be doing short little pee breaks outside and much more enrichment and much more um, training and things like that inside Mm -hmm. um, meet the dog's needs. Okay. Yeah. That's good because I think that you're right. There's a big misconception about, we have to do a walk and it has to be this distance and the dog has to be at my side the whole time. I mean, I, goodness knows. I mean, I use my long line a lot. I very rarely ask my dog to be at my side. And I, I sometimes literally like I give myself a, a time frame. Like I look at the watch and I'm like, okay, I got to be home by X amount of time. I'm going to let him tell us where we want to go. And it's really fun. It's neat to see. Is he going to turn left at the corner? Is he going to turn right at the corner? Is he going to, where does he want to explore? And he can't always make all the choices. We have to be safe and not walk in the middle of the road and obviously things like that. But it's nice for him to be able to um, have some autonomy in an agency in those decisions. And that is also very mentally satisfying, like you were talking about, as mm-hmm. opposed to if a dog is just walking next to us for an hour, they're not actually very physically exercised and they're certainly bored to death. Yeah. So oh, it doesn't absolutely. accomplish anything really except meet our own expectations of what we think a walk should be. And yeah. if it and one way that somebody phrased it. And I've really, it just kind of hit me over the head, which is that our dog, and this sounds really kind of terrible if you think about it, but our dog is living in our house, almost Mm -hmm. like a caged bird or a hamster in a cage or whatever, that Mm -hmm. that this is an animal and our house is the enclosure. And that's it. That's what they've got. They've maybe got the yard. If, If they're lucky, they get to go in the car or go for a walk. But really, they're in our house at, and they're at their freedom or exposure to the real world is up to our discretion. Do they get to come? Do they not get to come? And so to not allow our dogs to sniff and explore the world when they're actually outside is doing them a huge disservice because it's their only time to like yeah. see what's going on outside and to get a break from your house. And that's not to say living at your house isn't wonderful. It probably is, but it's very confining and very limiting to most dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And, and I, I similarly had a, a brain, brain, brain melt when I, someone, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about, you know, dogs as captive, like they were saying, like our animals are our dogs that we keep them as our pets and they all have instinct. They all have 
they need to have an outlet for their natural behavior. You would never keep, you know, a tiger in a zoo and not give it some, some opportunity to chase or some opportunity to, you know, to catch its food and and have that instinct fulfilled. Right. Um, And so with our dogs, we just expect that, okay, well, your little march around the the block and your food and your food bowl is going to be, that's it. You know, that's, that should be good. Right. And we should just, you know, be okay. The rest of the time, but really they have such a varied need. Mm-hmm. Um, like we say, depending on breed for what, what, what's going to fulfill that and what's going to make them happy and then and their life enriched. Yeah. I think I listened to that same podcast and just sat dumbfounded the rest of the day. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, but yeah, I think it was Kim Brophy. She's That's amazing. Possible. I'm yeah. pretty sure it was Kim. Um, she's going to come on and be a guest on the podcast. Oh, cool. I am nice. so excited to talk about that with her. Um, okay. This is really helpful. One last thing again about leash walking Mm -hmm. um, because I do think that there are times where they do have to get out together. Um, Do you have any safety tips for a parent who has a baby and is walking a dog? Should they wear the baby? Should the baby be in a stroller? Mm-hmm. I know that some dogs are afraid of the stroller and my biggest fear is that the leash will get caught in the wheels. So that mm-hmm. is a concern for me. What would you recommend as being a good way to, to begin learning how to be out with the dog and baby at the same time in a way, if your dog, let's say may be reactive or may react to a squirrel or another dog, what would you say might be a safe place to start with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So first of all, I mean, knowing your dog, knowing what they react to is going to be really an important place to start, knowing okay. the intensity of their, their reactions um, and, you know, considering safety as well. So it's certainly if your dog has any history of aggressing or redirecting, um, um, that would be yeah. a big safety thing in my okay. mind. So right. ideally, like having um, two parents go out is or two people go out. So again, that back asking for support okay. from people. Um, is would be really ideal so that um, you know one person's pushing the stroller and the other person is has control of the dog a lot of reactive dogs I mean they do take your full um, a full attention and control and it's also challenging if you're watching a baby to be environmentally aware of what your dog's triggers are what's coming up in the environment Um, so that's I mean that's um, a lot of multitasking and certainly in the beginning um, when you first have a baby home that's that's a lot right um yeah like I think we we have a conception when we're when we're when we're pregnant and we're excited and we you know we have a dog we want we we imagine those like walking them together and it's going to be a wonderful amazing experience and and it can be Mm -hmm. um but in reality it can also be challenging to manage everything right and and be everything for everyone you know sometimes Mm -hmm. the baby's going to be crying Mm -hmm. um sometimes the dog's going to stop and be using the bathroom and it's a lot to manage right so if you can reach out and get support that's really going to help that's perfect i that's a a perfect answer of like redirecting me back to helping people see that Mm -hmm it's not always what you wish it was. And there is, there's no shame again in hiring a dog walker or hiring a neighbor to sit with your child, the baby, just sit and watch the baby sleep while you go and you walk your dog. Because I, um, my dog Barley is, um, 
she has issues and she is muzzle trained so that I am less worried and I feel more confident when I have her out in the world. But I literally need two hands on the leash Mm -hmm. and I am the kind of person that looks around every corner before I go around it because I do not want to be surprised by another dog right around that corner. So I am constantly looking. I feel like I'm part of a spy movie where I feel like I'm being chased and I'm looking over my shoulder and I'm looking around and I always have an escape route. And if I see another dog coming, I'm either crossing the street or doing an emergency U-turn and doing these kinds of dodging strategies to try to keep my dog from getting too close to these triggers. And that's a full time, full energy. I don't even like to walk her with Pippin because, um, they have different needs, right? And it's really hard even just walking two dogs at a time, let alone having a baby who might need to eat spontaneously in the middle of a walk or something like that. So I think it is okay to not try to pursue the dream of what I wish it was that we're just happily walking with the cup of coffee in the stroller holder and we're drinking our coffee and walking our dog and baby at the same time with certain dogs. I think that may be attainable, but I think with a lot of dogs, um, especially rescues who are coming with any variety of issues that, um, that, that dog deserves our full attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not to say that you can't get there, but what, you know, one thing at a time, one, one step at a time, like I, going back to what you were saying initially, like one of the, when I was um, expecting, we, we interviewed, I realized we had three dogs at the time mm-hmm. with varying, you know, um, Tulip was, was dog reactive. And, uh, and I knew like that my son was due to be born in, um, in January. I was like, mm-hmm. knew that, okay, I'm not going to be getting out there and walking them. I'm going to have a tiny little baby. Um, mm-hmm. And I, we hired a dog walker and that was the most, like I would have paid her like triple what I paid her. Like I, I didn't realize, and I don't think you do before you have a baby, how much of your self it takes. Right. And I had, I had very little to give to my dogs, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, like I was not training them and I wasn't, I mean, you know, just like the, my full attention was on taking care of myself mm-hmm. and then he was born, he was born early as well. And so that he was had medical and I had medical and it was, it was an intense time and that saved my, my life. Like she came three times a week. She picked up the three dogs. She took them out to the woods, beautiful, walked them for an hour. She would send me pictures. And so all my mom guilt went away. I knew they were having an amazing time. She loved them like her own. She brought them back and then they would sleep the rest of the day and the next day too, you know, they would be, and I just remember that being a lifesaver. So reaching out, asking for support, thinking ahead and saying, okay, you know, what am I going to need? What are my needs going to be? And like, how do I make sure everybody's taken care of? And it doesn't have to all fall on your own, your shoulders. You don't have to put yourself last. You need to put yourself first. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a perfect place to end this. It feels yeah. so hopeful. It feels, it oh, really does. It feels like it. You permission, permission to, you know, divide and conquer, and that's that's what you need so that you can give your full self to your new baby and um, and getting through it because it's a hard mm-hmm. transition. Where can people find you, Miranda? 
Yeah. So you can follow, you can find me on my website, mindfulcanine.ca. Um, and I also have Instagram and Facebook, Mindful Canine, um, in both of those avenues. Um, if you go to my website, I have a free ebook um, on your new rescue dog. And as well, um, in the show notes, there's a link where you can be added to um, a mailing list that will let you know I do webinars um, for reactive rescue dogs. And um, some my secrets to calm walks. And I also run an eight week program for reactive dogs as well. So your, um, your one-stop shop to get to that place where walks are less stressful. Yeah. So yeah, I'd love if you followed along. Yeah. And I've looked at Miranda's work and I've seen it and her book is amazing. And, um, her other resources and videos are so good as well. So I strongly encourage you guys to go check those out. Thank you, Miranda, for spending time with us today. I hope we can do this again. Thank you so much, Michelle. It was great. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Pooch Parenting Podcast on iTunes or on the podcast app of your choice. If you're looking for ongoing support for your family with dogs, be sure to get on the waiting list for my Thriving Parents with Kids and Dogs membership at www dot safekidsanddogs.com. And don't forget to follow Pooch Parenting on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening.